Hi folks, John here. Welcome to the Deceptively Clever podcast. Me and my mate Justin met many years ago at university and now meet on a regular basis to lie about historically significant objects. It works like this. One person gives the other an object to search for in their preferred search engine. No peeking at articles or websites. Images only. We are given a small introduction to the object and then three statements, one of which is a complete lie. I'm sure you're smart enough to work out what's next. We keep score, and so far I'm ashamed to say I'm losing. I will fix this. It is going to be interesting when we first put it out and just see who our real friends are. <laughs> oh no, I'm very much of a position that don't don't watch, read, or view, or listen to anything that you're not entertained by. Yep. I don't need the... I keep saying... Well, I watch a lot of entrepreneur stuff on the internet and there's always, always this thing where, like if my friend starts a company, I'm paying full price to support them. I'm like, if I need my friends to pay full price, like if I need my friends to buy whatever I'm selling, it's not a very viable business. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it shouldn't really make any difference. Yeah, that's fair. I definitely get the point of like don't ask your friends for a discount because that's not how it works. Yeah, that's fair. That's a good way of thinking about it, I think. But yeah, sometimes I, I see just this expectation. Like there'll be someone saying, oh, I launched this and none of my friends bought it. And I'm like, yeah, that's because nobody needs that. <laughs> Have you got your search engine ready? Search engine is ready. So I want you to search for Napier's Bones. And I'm going to spell that for you. It's N-A-P. I-E-R-S space bones. I, I'm not a person who's deeply into the dark arts, but I can already tell I'm going to enjoy this. <laughs> oh, wow, that's not what I was expecting. Yeah, so um, what you should see is a little box, and it's filled with little rods, and all these rods have numbers on. Is that... Yep, so I can see a grid, which is a square. Yep. Almost. I've got one to nine on one side... And then one to nine plus zero on the other. Yep. And so some weird. Yes. So these are called Napier's bones, and they were invented by John Napier. Now he was born in 1550 and lived until 1617, I think. And Napier's bones are a form of multiplication and division. So effectively, they help you do complex sums. So he created them when he published Rhabdology, which is a word he invented in 1617. He was a a Scottish landowner, a mathematician, a physicist, and astronomer, and he was the eighth Laird of Merchiston. So, effectively, a well-off guy, but also very smart, and he invents Napier's bones. So, would you call him a polymath, do you think? Yeah, definitely, because he was like he was very influential on mathematics at this time in the seventeenth century. Yes, and Scottish is led a direct translation to one of the English titles of nobility, or it's the equivalent, but it's it is a its own word. Like I I used to think that it was just a, like a translation of lord, but it's it's its own title. And they they don't have. The Highlands did not have the same hierarchy levels as uh, England. Was there just lairds and kings? Do you know what? Or did they have earls? I 
by count. Could not tell you that. Marcus. That's uh, research for another time. I think we understand, though. He was a per- person with a title and land, and he used his spare time to revolutionise mathematics. Yeah. Say no more. I like the guy. I will just explain the Napier's bones a little more. So... Please. They're an object used to aid multiplication and division of large, num- large numbers. So it's based on the idea of lattice multiplication, which was being used by Fibonacci at the time. So effectively, you could align certain numbers in a certain way to quickly gather an answer. So a simple example of 2 times 13. You have a grid with the numbers 1 to 9 down the left-hand side. You'd then find your rows, which have 1 at the top and 3 at the top, to make 13. And down each of those columns, you've got the 1 times table and the 3 times table. Let me know if you're not following, because this is complicated. No, I've got you. I've got you. You would then look down the left-hand side and find the number 2, which because that's your original, what you're multiplying 13 by. And you'd move along and you'd see that 1 times 2 is 3. Uh, oh, God. 1 times 2 is 2, and then 3 times 2 is 6. Put those together and you've got 26. So wow. it's effectively very, 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 very simple. But you could do much bigger sums. So you could do 349 times 967, and it basically just becomes a matter of careful addition. And the same way you could do large numbers division, it just becomes subtraction. So how does division work? So division works in a similar way where you would... I tried reading the explanation and I got a little bit confused. But instead of adding all the numbers, you just subtract them all. Okay. But basically... I think for anyone listening, this is an object that is worth looking up and having a look at because it instantly makes good sense how this works, and it's now blowing my mind that that this works. It is, I'm very impressed. It is hard to explain as this, but it's like, it's a process that so many people will be familiar with, especially like, it's effectively primary school maths, because you just break down these really tough multiplications, and you just break them down into go, I'm doing these smaller sums. So it works, and it, it's amazing how it works and it just makes it all so simple. And because you can watch people work in Abacus really fast and it's so impressive and you understand what, in concept, you understand they're working out mathematical problems, but you can't visualize how they're doing that unless you understand how the Abacus works. This, you can look at, the numbers are there and it's like someone gives you the key and then you're you're good to go. Well, obviously for for my statements, I'm not gonna go into maths. That's too difficult. (laughs) (laughs) But he's also credited with the invention of logarithms as well. So he is just incredibly smart, influential mathematician alive in Edinburgh at the time. So it's it's really impressive. I'm surprised I've never heard of him. I bet you will have, but not in the way that you think. Okay. And that's that's a little hint for one of my statements. Okay. I like a little bit of foreshadowing. So tell me more. Are you ready for the statements? Yes. So statement one. The Bones were dedicated to Andrew Seaton, a patron of his who was a very influential patron at the time. Statement two. He used the bones to deceive locals and convince them he was magic. 
And then statement three, the bones are not the only thing named after him. There is Napier University in Edinburgh, as well as the Nepper Crater on the moon, as well as numerous mathematical theories. Have you got all those down? I am writing those down. I've switched back to my old uh, paper and pen this week. Oh, very nice. Having had to not edit out the typing, but decide the typing was not as much to my liking as I had initially thought. I was going to ask you that. <laughs> okay. Was the patron, Mr. Andrew Seaton, also from Edinburgh? Uh, I believe he was from Edinburgh, but he would definitely have been based in Edinburgh because he was effectively very high up in the sort of the parliament at the time. Okay. Do you know what he did with them? Uh, I think it was purely just dedicated to him. So I think he, it sounds like he was... Oh, he didn't get them. No, no. So he was a patron. So he would just, sounds like he sponsored a lot of people at the time yeah. to... He paid for it. He didn't get them named after him because it was too good a discovery, mm. but he, he did get a dedication. Maybe they in, like inscribed it on the bottom of the box or something. Yeah. Maybe there was a, like an additional accessory. Um, I think, I think, okay. I think, the, I think uh, the book's dedicated to him as well, that the bones were invented alongside the Rhabdology book. Oh, uh, you would need the book too, wouldn't yeah. you? So that's, that's exactly how the patron system worked, I guess. Yeah, and then he was like... He sponsored, I think sponsored is the right word, a lot of sort of influential mathematicians and figures in literature at the time because he was very high up. So he was the Lord President of the Court of Session from 1598 to 1604 and he was the Lord Chancellor of Scotland from 1604 to 1622. So he's basically very important Scottish man. <laughs> he was dedicated to the cause. He was very dedicated to the cause. And I'm not going to pronounce this right, but a lot of people who um, dedicated things to him called him, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Masonus, which is M-A-E-C-E-N-A-S, who was the mm -hmm. patron during Augustan period in Rome who would sponsor lots of Augustan poets and writers and thinkers. So a lot of people compared Andrew Seaton to this um, Roman patron as well. Right. There's not really much to unpick in the... the I, I can imagine him having a patron. It's quite a, it's quite a boring statement, but who knows? That might be just a, a little trick. I don't know. It's maybe important to discuss these... To acknowledge the patrons, the people that funded the work. Especially when they didn't get anything specific out of it. Now we have pharmaceutical companies that are patrons of science and we're poorer for it. I do like the idea that there are just people knocking about who just go, yeah, you're a smart guy. Have some, have some money. <laughs> yes, we do. Maybe, maybe we've lost touch with exactly how that went down. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to claim to know exactly how this worked because... Yeah, there might have been a formal process and interviews and <laughs> similar to the, the bursary or grant system we have now. Maybe not, though. Maybe it was literally just, oh, I would like to know the answer to that. Yes, I would like a board filled with uh, a grid that would allow me to solve problems beyond my own brain's capabilities. It's, it's, I just love the invention. I just think it's so smart. Yeah, very neat, very tidy. Number two, tell me the anecdote or the context with which you read that it was claimed as magic. So, 
there's a lot of stories around John Napier and the fact that he was allegedly into the dark arts. So these sort of came about mostly because of his isolation. So he would work a lot by himself in his study and people would claim that he was contacting the devil and learning the magic and he was apparently into alchemy, so which obviously breeds um, lots of ideas around that as well. So, so hang on, working on his own in his study led to people questioning his character. I'm, it's alongside some other stories, so... Yes, that, I'd just like to say I'm no longer uh, too homesick for the former Scotland, for I would have no chance to carry on. <laughs> so he would have a black rooster with him that people would say was his familiar. And oh, excellent, yep. He is said to have caught a criminal using his rooster. So he, he painted a white rooster black with soot and told his servants that it would react to a thief that was amongst his servants. So he told them to go in the room one by one and pet the rooster and they would leave and he inspected everyone's hands and the one person who was too scared to touch the rooster was the thief. That was clever. And then he also stopped pigeons from eating his farmland by lacing some, soaking some grain in alcohol and then catching them when they were too drunk. So... There's lots of stories that show that can be sort of emphasised and sort of exaggerated with magical dark arts because he's he's just he's just a very clever bloke. He saw a parallel of the universe that everybody else operated within that he did not have to. Yeah, and he was quite happy to 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 play around the edges of that. Good on him. And so so he should have. And then he was he would specifically use the bones, and he would perform like equations really really quickly. Um, to like a small crowd of people um, because basically it just meant that he could go look I'm incredibly smart and people then thought yeah he's still a bit dodgy and magic and dark arts and all this stuff he was so clever people thought that he couldn't be that clever and that's what he would do with his bones he'd like do maths really quickly and shock everyone <laughs> yeah we're barely out of the burn the witch at the stake phase of English history here either. I don't know about Scottish. Yeah. So to be honest, in Outlander, which is set during this time, they did burn the witch at the stake. And that's a completely accurate show as well, sir. I, as far as I know, yeah. <laughs> Can't remember how, how that non-witch modern person survived that. But anyway, that is within the realm of anyone who was smart was a suspect. And then it's like he was smart and isolated, locked away in a room all the time, would then do these amazing tricks to appear as if he made pigeons turn drunk and deceive his servants to catch them. So it's like all all just sort of builds this image of magic. Do you, th do you think he was leaning into these suspicions as a way of protecting his introversion and study from distractions? Maybe, yeah. Maybe he was like just fed up with people coming and seeing him. So he's like, if you see me, you'll probably see the devil too. If you see me, you'll probably see the devil too. What a line. That's poetry. <laughs> okay, that's, that's, that's some things. Uh, Napier University, Crater on the Moon. Sorry, you've got something else? 
I was just going to say, I like that um, he had a black rooster that everyone thought was his familiar. Which, alongside Napier's bones, you can also see them in the National Museum of Scotland. They have Napier's bones and his black rooster. Is that a Scottish attempt at humour? I don't know. Probably. <laughs> Suspect... Well, the only problem with that is they had to have kept the bones at the time that the rooster died. I think you're going to... You can't, you can't come back 100 years later and like, oh, this story's funny. They thought he had a familiar. So we'll go and get the rooster's bones. You've got to have them already. <laughs> Maybe he requested it. I like to think that. He requested the bones be kept nearby. They're actually in a different room. They're not that close. It's a bit sad. Oh, Jesus. I'm going to separate them. Right, statement three. Yeah. So there's a university. I don't know whether that university exists. I presume it does. It's a bold lie for you to go for. <laughs> I suppose if it is a lie, it's just it, you can't say for absolute certainty that a university doesn't exist. Thing on, I don't know the moon craters very well. What are the numerous other mathematical concepts named after him? Oh, I haven't got them. But I think there's like Napier's, there's Napier's logarithm and there's Napier's something as well. Basically, there's quite a few. <laughs> Because he just invented them all, basically. Yeah, he's got some other things. What's the university's primary focus? I don't actually know. Um, I probably should have done more research on these ones. But it's... His birthplace, Murchiston Tower, is part of the facilities of Edinburgh Napier University. So it's very much like where he was. And I think it is a more science-based university. Compared to okay. the University of Edinburgh, which is a bit more traditional, really. And how many times a week pre-COVID would you say you ran into a student of Napier? Uh, not very often because it's the other side of Edinburgh. Have you ever run into a person and said, oh, where do you go? And they said Napier. Uh, yes, I used to work with someone actually who was from Napier University and he was doing construction management. What was his last name? His last name was Napier. No, uh, <laughs> his last name was... <laughs> 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 you have to change your name. His last name was uh, Lacey. Lacey, with an E or just a Y? No, with an E. I mean, that's the correct way to spell it, so fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, Master Lacey. Okay, he was studying construction at a, at a science university named after a famous mathematician. I think it's I don't really know that... about Napier University. It's... Yeah, I mean, it sounds about right, doesn't it? Would you like to know more about the crater? If you've got it, yes. I was going to trouble you for that because I thought that might be stretching it. No, I've got I've got uh, lots of words that I don't know what they mean. Are we on the dark side or are we on the on the earth side? <laughs> um, yes. No. Uh, due to its location, the crater must be viewed during a suitable libration and is very foreshortened. The crater lies on the south edge of Mare Marginis to the east side of Crater of Crater Jansky. To the northwest across the Mare Marginis is the crater Goddard. There you go. Um, yep, a little bit beyond my moon geography. <laughs> I've got it on my list. As soon as I can name uh, at least 100 countries on a map, I will learn some of the moon things. I haven't got there yet. Uh, uh, that sounds quite technical. The, You've done a good job at least copying something out of something. The crater floor is dark and flat, with a central peak and several crater impacts near the west rim. The most notable of these is a small crater near the north northwestern edge. Okay. That's 
as much as I've got about the, the, the crater. Hmm. And it's called the Neper Crater, N-E-P-E-R, because that's another way he spelt his name. Oh, they mixed it up a little bit. It sounds good for a moon name, to be honest. Yeah, it does sound pretty good, don't it? I'm glad they went with, with the Neper, yep. Um, I suppose you could have just picked a random crater on the moon, copied out the description of where it is, and given it a different name, and that would be perfectly acceptable and well executed. I would say you've done, an, again, a good job of making them all plausible. <laughs> I feel like dedicating it to a patron is an odd thing to come up with, if that is not true, mm. because I don't know, like, where have you got that from? Andrew Seaton, at least you've gone with a, a, you've come up with a good name. I like that it's called Andrew after one of my former attempts. <laughs> Pilot episode three for anyone who hasn't listened to that one. Andrew will will go down in infamy in the podcast history. I'll be honest, I'm leaning towards two just because it makes the most sense to have made that up. I, again, would not be upset to be wrong, as is usually the case. I'm a pretty mild-mannered person, <clears throat> not overly competitive. I think all of the rooster stuff was probably true, and I think you've just lent into the deceived locals he was magic with the board. But I'd be utterly disappointed if that is not true because that's exactly what he should have done <laughs> and it seems to be consistent with the character. I've, I think I've acceptably made the case that they all could be lies, which is, which is something. Am I going to go with a last-minute switch and go to the uni or the dedication? No, I'm going to stick with two. Lock it in, Eddie. You have got it exactly right and you have gone through the logic perfectly because all the Black Rooster stuff is true. Uh, they did think that he was, that was his familiar and there was all this dark art stuff, but he didn't use his Napier's bones at all. So it was, you very much just, I very disappointedly just listened to you explain exactly how I was trying to lie to you. So, <laughs> well, well done for that. Good, because I'm so glad that the familiar stuff was true. And I'm glad he at least had lots of interesting aspects to his character. Just, Your error was in giving the moon description. That was far too technical. I was kind of hoping that just saying all that moon stuff would make you think that I'm just trying to lie about the moon because you, that could have be about anything. Yeah. To be honest, I could have I could have made some of those words up. Oh, all of them. Until I listened back, I would have had no idea. Yeah. And then I thought I thought lie number one might have been so boring that it was just like, yeah, it's probably just a like a really easy lie. So I completely miss miss thought all of those. Well done. Well, no, because he, he could have been, you could have he could have dedicated another book it's to true. a different person, which was similar to the strategy we went with in a previous pilot episode, where there was some sort of string of something. Oh, it was the invention of the gyroscope. Oh yeah, thing I remember. Yeah, so I'm learning <laughs> the John playbook as we go, and I'm I'm keeping all options open. Uh, well, that's my that's my second get. Point me. How. How do the points JLB work? For the do the win. points work if you guess the lie, but then you don't get a point if you are the person lying? The only way to get a point is to guess the lie. As we are currently playing it. I tell you what, I need to I need to get more information. I always think that I'll do enough research, and then you ask me questions, I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> I definitely think it's going to take some editing to cut me down a little bit because I definitely got very confused as to what I was saying at certain points. Oh, that's a problem for future Justin. <laughs> that's very true.
as I said, I'm continuing with the, with the close to my own heart theme until we publish it. Until we get out of pilot phase. Well, I don't know. Might when do you think we will get out of pilot phase? Um, to be honest, there's not really any reason not to. Yeah. It's getting to a point it would probably be easier 